Verse 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven. He says, I am the bread of life. This, this is the bread that comes down out of heaven, so that anyone may eat from it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give for the life of the world also is my flesh. So you have to eat to live. You can fast longer than you think you can fast, right? Um, You know, I've fasted at various times. Obviously, I haven't in a while, and I need to. (laughs) But... um, Usually when I fast, I do like a juice fast. I'll, you know, I'll drink like uh, fresh juice, no fruit juice, uh, just vegetable juice throughout the day, that sort of thing. Um, But when you fast, it's really difficult for about the first three days. And then there's this period of time where it gets a lot easier. And then it starts getting harder again uh, once you hit really about the second week, about the 14th day. And then definitely most people that I've uh, observed or read about that have fasted longer than that, once they hit day 21, it's just really rough. But there are cases where people have fasted for 40 days, 50 days. Uh, There's a guy that made a little documentary um, and he did a juice fast for 80 days and he lost like 100 pounds, right? Now, the problem is you can lose a lot of weight fasting, but when you turn around and start eating again, um, if your diet has not dramatically changed and you don't radically um, you know, alter the way you've been eating, you'll just gain everything right back. But why do I bring all that up? You can fast, but you've got to have food. If you don't eat, you will die, period. Okay, But all the food that we're going to eat down here is only temporary. you got to keep eating, don't you? Right? I mean, some people eat one meal a day, some people eat six meals a day, but you got to keep eating or you don't live. Jesus said, hey, manna, the manna that Moses was, you know, spoke of, Moses didn't give them manna, God did. Okay, they said, you know, uh, to Jesus earlier in this chapter, they said, you know, Moses gave them you know, manna to eat. Well, Moses didn't give them manna to eat. It was God that gave them manna to eat. But even then, that manna, food from heaven, right? Uh, The food of angels, it didn't keep them alive forever, did it? They ate that and then they died. So even manna was not enough to sustain life forever. The children of Israel ate it daily, but even though they ate it daily, there came a time when an Israelite would eat manna that morning and die that night. So it wasn't what the bread that Jesus is offering is. Well, let's uh, you know translate that for ourselves. God provides many gifts for us on earth, but earthly gifts will not give you eternal life, okay? I mean, you can eat a great meal and just really, really appreciate it and be thankful for it. And, you know, when I was eating that steak earlier today, man, that's just a lot more meat than I normally eat. But I, I did a good job making that steak, even if I say so myself, right? You know what? I, I put some foil around it and I put it in there, and, you know, I put it in the oven on 250 for 20 minutes and just, you know, heated it up, heated it through. And then I seared both sides of it right? And all it had on it was salt, pepper, and a little bit of garlic salt. Man, it was good. 
Um, but yeah, it's temporary. Okay, there's something there's something greater than that. He said, "The bread which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh." Now, this is where it starts getting difficult. As I said when I read it, Jesus is speaking of his intent here to offer his body as a sacrifice, his fleshly body as a sacrifice on the cross. At the Last Supper, remember, Jesus broke bread and gave it to his disciples, and then he said what? This is my body, which is for you, or given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat this in remembrance of me. And that's pointing to the same thing as Jesus is saying here. Remember what I have done for you, or in the the case of when he was offering this to the disciples, what he was about to do for them. Now, <clears throat> now we may receive eternal life by putting our trust in him who died on our behalf and who rose on the third day, who knew no sin, that's Jesus, he knew no sin, he who knew no sin became our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus had a perfect human nature. You and I have fallen human natures. Jesus offered up his perfect humanity, right, on that cross. And in so doing, he took all of our sin, all of our weakness, all of our imperfection upon himself and then died. And in so doing, he killed death. On the third day, he rose, right? He died because of our transgressions. He rose because of our justification. That's what it says in uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 24, I believe that is. John six fifty-two through 58. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, this is interesting. It's just an aside here. Um, in the early church, they partook of communion like we do. And, you know, they said those things. This is his body and the cup, you know, the wine. This is his blood. Well, in the culture of their time, non-believers accused Christians of cannibalism. This is one of the bogeymen that they, you know, that they threw up to try to keep you away from Christ. Don't go near those Christians. They're cannibals, right? It's that it was, it was, are you ready for this? It was fake news in the first century. That's what it was, right? You see these sorts of things today. The Jews began to argue with one another. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly. Now, Jesus says truly, truly a lot. But every time he says it, you need to really pay attention because it's a double amen. Amen, amen, I say to you, right? He's making a very important point when he says this. And usually, especially in John, when he says truly, truly, he's also saying, stop. Listen, you're going the wrong direction. You're thinking the wrong thing. You're saying the wrong thing. Stop. Are you ready? Listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, now it gets worse. They weren't allowed to go anywhere near blood, right? That was like a, a really horrific sin to the Jewish people. The life is in the blood. Well, that's exactly why Jesus is saying this, by the way. So they couldn't even eat an animal that had not been properly slaughtered. It had to be slaughtered and bled out completely. I don't know if you've ever been hunting or if you've eaten meat.
from someone who has killed it themselves. But if it's not properly bled, it tastes really bad. It has kind of a gamey, livery taste, okay? You've got you to bleed it out. Well, there was a, a reason for that more than just the taste for the Jewish people. Um, before the Mosaic Law, uh, the, Noah, the Noahic covenant, covenant, all right, the covenant that God made with Noah was that you, uh, well, it says in uh, Genesis chapter 9, if a man sheds blood, then by man shall his blood be shed, right? The life is in the blood. So you respect life, and a part of respecting life is to not partake of any food that has blood in it and certainly not drink blood. And here Jesus is saying something that just sounds patently offensive. He's not just saying drink the blood of a a sheep or a goat or some other animal that they would eat. He's saying, no, drink my blood. But again, you know, I gave you the key verse to this in verse 63. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. The life is in the blood. He's talking about his life, right? It's your life for his life. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father. The one who eats me also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. So how do you eat the flesh of the Son of Man? How do you drink his blood? It's by faith. All right. So in chapter one, verse 12, once again, we go back to the prologue. Okay. It says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believed in his name. That's what he's talking about here. It is receiving everything that Jesus is, his, his nature, his, his his unstained, perfect nature, receiving his life into yourself. And this is his way of saying that. So, as we said, taken literally, this is a difficult passage. And as his disciples will say, and when I read the whole thing you heard, this is a very unpleasant saying, who can listen to it? Jesus was not speaking literally, but figuratively, as he often did and the disciples just as often did not understand. So it wasn't just the, the, the Jews that were around him, the religious leaders and so forth that didn't understand. His disciples didn't understand the majority of the time he spoke in figures of speech. They didn't understand until they got to the other side of the cross and the resurrection and received the Holy Spirit, who I pray is giving you understanding the same way he gave the disciples understanding. Okay, but just remember the key interpretive verse is verse 63. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. We're not reading this literally, okay? So flesh and blood equals spirit and life. Flesh, spirit, blood, life. We must partake of Jesus. We must take him into ourselves, receive him. His flesh is his perfect human nature, right? 
again, back to the prologue, uh, ver, chapter 1, verse 14. Um, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. His perfect human nature. Jesus is, Jesus was, what we should be and are not. And we have to take that into ourselves, okay? Um, his blood is his, his self-sustaining life. John 5, 26, Jesus says that he has life in himself and he gives that life for the salvation of the world. We must believe and identify with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's how we're saved. And that's how we may overcome sin from our corrupt human natures. So when I identify with Christ, I see myself as renewed. I see myself differently because I have received Christ into me. We talk about having Christ or having Jesus in our hearts, right? Um, Jesus talked to Nicodemus about being born anew, born again, born from above. When you genuinely put your faith in Jesus, you receive his spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit, and he gives you that transformation, that renewal, that new nature, that Christ-like nature. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. You have no life in yourself apart from Christ. So likely the first thing that comes to mind for many Christians here is communion or the Lord's Supper. However, this is not pointing to that, but that is pointing to the same spiritual reality as this, right? It's just a symbol, a visible symbol that you participate in that is saying, hopefully to you, the same thing that Jesus is saying here. Um, we've got to be transformed. Our personalities must integrate with Christ. Our thinking must be transformed by the life and teaching of Christ. We must be turned into sons and daughters of God in order to be fit for eternal life with the Father. We must be conformed to the image of his Son. So what is your purpose on earth? To be a mother, to be a father, uh, a particular career. Uh, those, those are subservient purposes. The number one purpose is to seek God and to put your faith in him and to prepare yourself for heaven. And we do that by becoming more like the son of God, Jesus. For those he foreknew, he also predestined, that is the father, right? Father God, for those the father foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, right? That's what we're supposed to do and be. Well, Jesus had already made the point that he has life in himself. Um, I in, uh, pointed to John 5, 26 earlier. Here it is. For just as the father has life in himself, so he gave the son also to have life in himself. Contrary to much popular belief and even a lot of purported Bible teaching, human beings do not naturally live forever. We are not self-existent. Eternal life is a gift from God. Okay? You die. God raises you from the dead. And if you have Christ, then you are judged. You are brought to heaven with him. You live for eternity with him. If you're not, 
you're raised as well. Jesus has said this in John chapter 5. We went through this earlier. You're raised, you're judged, and then you're cast into eternal destruction, the lake of fire, okay? Um, we do not possess anything but a temporary lease on life. Only God is intrinsically immortal. In 1 Timothy 1.17, it says that life and immortality has been brought to light through the gospel. And 1 Timothy 6.16, it says that uh, God is uh, immortal, and he's the only one that is immortal. He is self-existent. He's the necessary being with no dependence upon anyone or anything for his existence. You and I are contingent beings. Now, these are... Uh, Philosophical categories from the Middle Ages, um, Thomas of Aquinas talked about God and called him the necessary being, okay? We are contingent beings. Um, philosophers like William Lane Craig today talk about the universe. And uh, so here's a question, and it might sound like a trick question at first. You might think you know the answer, but is the universe necessary? It is not. It is contingent. It's dependent. The universe came into existence at a point in time. And eventually the universe will go out of existence or be changed completely. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, uh, the scripture teaches. So only God is the necessary being. He has no dependence upon anyone else. We're contingent beings. We depend upon many things for our continued existence, air, water, food, a regulated body temperature, light. Jesus is making the point that only he can give the gift of eternal life, which is available to us because of his death and resurrection. So don't presume that you will live forever unless you put your faith in the self-existent Son of God who died and rose so that you might have eternal life. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We receive eternal life by faith in Christ. That's how we eat his flesh and drink his blood. Only then will, be, will we be raised to live in his presence forever. We need to receive the Holy Spirit who will bring the nature of Christ into us and give us the down payment of eternal life. It is the Spirit who gives life. Remember that key verse, verse 63. Once again, Jesus promises resurrection on that eschatological last day. Remember how many times you heard Jesus say, and I will raise him up on the last day, and I will raise him up on the last day, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the hope of eternal life, right? It's a resurrected life. It's a bodily existence. We're not going to float around like ghosts, right? We're not going to be consumed or subsumed back up into the one. You're going to be you. You have a unique personality that God has created and you have developed. You will be you, but you will have a perfect body. Amen? My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, the one who eats me Will all he also will live because of me. So further, to eat and drink is to identify with Jesus and to remain with him. The language here means we continue to eat and drink. Now, I looked this up um, in the Greek, and these are present participles, okay? Um, the one who is eating my flesh and drinking my blood, it is a continuous action. 
It's not a one-shot deal. Oh, I, you know, took communion in church one time in, you know, 79. So I'm saved now, right? Or I, you know, walked the aisle in a church or I got baptized when I was a child. No, faith is continual, right? This receiving Christ is a continuous action. So just as you need to continue to eat physical food to stay alive in, on earth, You've got to keep receiving this life-sustaining spiritual uh, support that Jesus offers. So much is being said today by people who identify as something, okay? So I want you to get this idea of, you know, I talked about faith being like the, the way that we eat the, the flesh and drink the blood, okay? Or receiving Jesus. But I think the in an ongoing way, Another way to understand this or look at it is to say that we identify with Christ, okay? So when someone is baptized, we, we, um, we baptize by immersion, like many other churches similar to us of various denominations, non-denominational, but we follow the pattern that is laid out in Scripture, um, especially in Romans chapter 6. And we, in fact, I use those words from Romans chapter 6, buried with Christ— in baptism, raised to walk a newness of life, okay? Uh, Romans chapter six. I identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I die to the old me, to the natural me, right? So in the natural, there's all kinds of things that, you know, you do and I do that are not pleasing to God right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are people today who openly, brazenly identify with sinful lifestyle choices that, you know, and they say, well, God made me this way, or this is the way I am, and there's nothing that I can do about it. Well, the reality is you're a fallen creature living in a fallen world, so I don't doubt that that is a part of your nature, but that's not who you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be like Jesus, and you have to die to that old life and be raised with Christ. I need to identify with Christ. Um, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I identify myself with Christ's crucifixion. The old me is crucified. There is a new me that has been raised. I identify with Christ. Uh, A little further down in Romans chapter 6, I told you that I I quote from that when I baptize, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. A little further down, it says in Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old self or our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we might no longer be slaves to sin. The word in Greek there is disabled, right? Um, Rendered powerless. You still have an old nature. There's still an old you buried down there. The question is, how often do you visit that grave? The question is, do you haul that carcass around with you all the time? Or do you identify with Jesus and say, you know what? Whatever my feelings are, feelings of lust or feelings of violence or, you know, feelings of, 
you know, wanting to be dishonest or, you know, whatever my temptations are, I can honestly say, if I am in Christ, if I've chosen to put my faith in Jesus, I can honestly say, that is not me any longer. I identify with a new life that Christ has created for me. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life, the source of life for you is now hidden with Christ in God. If you want to know who you really are, you don't look at your parents, you don't look at your past, you look at Christ. That's how you know who you really are. I identify with him. So, again, that's why we're baptized. That's why we're called a Christian, which means little Christ. He's the light of the, of the world, and he calls his disciples to be the light of the world. Jesus is life. I, I like this. This is a good one. This is a, these were uh, popular T-shirts and a popular slogan from the late 80s or early 90s. Uh, about the time uh, your son was in my youth ministry. They had all these shirts, okay? And they would say, blank is life. The rest is details. And it was usually some sport. Soccer is life. And then it'd have a big soccer ball right here. The rest is details. Baseball is life. The rest is details. Basketball is life. The rest is details. No, Jesus is life. The rest is details. Amen? So identify with Jesus daily. That's the only way to, to real life. Verses 59 through 65, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So then many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this statement is very unpleasant. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining about this, said to them, is this offensive to you? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Here's that key verse. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. We've heard this several times in this passage as well, that only those who were granted the uh, privilege of coming to the Father will be able to do so. So it is possible, let's, let's get into the details of the actual chapter here. It is possible that the bread of life discourse, that's what we can call this overall teaching that Jesus has in John 6. It's possible that the bread of life discourse um, is actually from two different sermons, both of which Jesus preached in Capernaum. The first is found in verses 35 through 50, and then the second is in verses 51 through 59. Uh, Craig Keener, the commentator, points out, uh, he points out scholars who believe the two sections to be duplicates in the Johannine tradition. It would seem Jesus began to speak about the bread of life when the crowd first found him, when he first got onto the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And then he doubled down on the idea in the synagogue when he taught. And that's what we see at the beginning of this. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Is this offensive to you, Jesus asks. Well, they were complaining about the teaching. Their literalism caused them to misunderstand. However, Jesus told them that they were offended about the wrong thing. You know, people get offended 
about words that you say, things that you say, phrases that you use today, okay? They're not listening to what you're saying. They take umbrage at the terminology that you use, okay? You didn't use the correct pronouns for me. Um, you can't say that anymore. There's a, there's a new term, and you're supposed to use this new politically correct term. And you may not intend any offense whatsoever, but they're offended because you're not saying what they want you to say the way they want you to say it, okay? Well, these folks were offended and, you know, if they're taking Jesus literally, rightfully so, it's kind of gross to talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, but he was really trying to uh, to goad them into thinking above the literal and the fleshly and the carnal, okay? But they weren't doing that. So, he asks, uh, you know, is this offensive to you? And then he shows them that they were being offended at the wrong thing. What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? See, the real offense is not about something Jesus said, but in who he claimed to be. He is the stumbling block, the stone that the builders rejected. And that has become the cornerstone of a new temple into which you and I are being built as living stones. And you can find that in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8 and Ephesians 2, 20 through 22. They could accept him as a prophet, perhaps as an earthly Messiah. But to realize he was and is the unique son of God is offensive. Did you know Muslims accept Jesus as a prophet? In fact, did you know Muslims believe Jesus is going to come back? They believe he's going to return. But they believe that Muhammad is a greater prophet. And they say, Jesus did not die on the cross. And they say, God has no son. So they're misidentifying Jesus. They are making Jesus the way they want to see him. And this isn't exclusive to Muslims. I'm just using them as one example. All right. People do this all the time, even if they don't have their own religion. We have a tendency to make Jesus in our own image. But as I said earlier, <laughs> we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what needs to be happening. Um, so the real offense is to realize that Jesus is not the same as any other human being. He is the unique son of God who came from heaven and he would return there and now has returned there. And that would really cause offense. In fact, that's what got Jesus crucified. So Mark is the earliest gospel. I wasn't going to do this, so um, I pray that you'll bear with me as I find this, uh, as I find this um, statement. Mark is the earliest gospel. John is probably the latest gospel, okay? And there are those that would like to say that it was the disciples who made Jesus divine, that Jesus never claimed divinity. And of course, they have to just completely wipe out the gospel of John by saying this, right? But if you want to look at the earliest material, then you're going to go over here to Mark, okay? And so Jesus is placed before um, the Sanhedrin, okay? Hang on, I'm still looking for it. This is uh, during his passion. Here we go. Early in the morning, this is uh, this is Mark fifteen one. 
Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, scribes, and the entire council, that would be the Sanhedrin, immediately held a consultation and they bound Jesus and led him away and turned him over to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, so you are the king of the Jews? And he answered him, it is as you say. And the chief priest started accusing him of many things, but Pilate questioned him again, saying, do you offer nothing in answer? See how many charges they're bringing against you. Okay, this that's good, but that's, that's too late. Um, I need to get back here where he's first standing before the high priest. There it is. Okay, this is 1461. Uh, let me back up a little further. 1460. And then the high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus saying, do you not offer any answer for what these men are testifying against you? They were making all sorts of false accusations, but he kept silent and did not, did not offer any answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and said, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? So he's saying, just tell us, are you the Messiah or not? Now understand they believed the Messiah to be a political leader. Listen to Jesus' answer. And you can't escape the reality that Jesus was saying he was more and other than an earthly Messiah. And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And if you don't know how offensive that was, listen to their reaction. Verse 63, tearing his clothes, the high priest said, what further need do we have of witnesses? That's what Jesus is saying. If you're going to be offended in our text now in John, if you're going to be offended, understand who I am and be offended at that. Okay? All right. So let's go... Um, Let's go down to uh, John 6, 64 through 66. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. So there it is again. As a result of this, many of his disciples left and would no longer walk with him. Jesus knows who the fakers are. He knows who the pretenders, he knows who the phonies are. He knew Judas would betray him. He refused to entrust himself to those who merely responded with enthusiasm. You know, you can go to a conference. Um, you can go to camp. You know, our kids went to camp last week. Woo, lots of excitement at camp. Oh, lots of excitement at camp. Okay. But there are plenty of people that went to camp as children and as adults who don't follow Jesus anymore. You can get caught up right in the moment and the enthusiasm and so forth. Um, Jesus refused to entrust himself to those who were just responding with enthusiasm about his miracles or how he handled the religious elite when he spoke back to them. Remember this from John chapter 2? This is after he had cleared the temple. Remember that? He cleared the temple out. Now he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast and many believed in his name as they observed his signs. So he was also performing miraculous signs, which he was doing. But Jesus on his part, listen, was not entrusting himself to them because he knew all people. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And because he did not need anyone to testify about 
mankind, for he himself knew what was in mankind. So, there are people who follow Jesus because that's what their friends, their family, or their neighbors do. There are people who go to church because they were raised in church. There are people who go to church for a while because they're drawn in by a persuasive message. God will make you healthy, wealthy, and successful. There are people who go to church because of the programming for children, youth, singles. Um, they have, uh, there are bigger churches that have programs for people that struggle with addiction and so forth, right? Not saying that these things are bad, but it's just, it's not going to keep you, right? There are people who go to church for friendship, fellowship, or just something to do, right? Well, why do you go? Why do you follow Jesus? Or do you? He knows. In our time, there are fewer and fewer people in the United States that are going to church. In fact, almost every denomination is in decline. Some are in steep decline. I read an article today. Uh, I follow this organization called Ministry Watch, and they posted uh, an editorial or article. I guess it's an article, not just an editorial, because he looked at some research. And uh, uh, the title of it is Just How Bad Is Denominational Decline? And, you know, I was going to put this graphic up there, but I forgot. Uh, Autumn, I forgot to put it up there. Um, but every denomination, or at least virtually every denomination, is in decline. Uh, the Presbyterian Church USA has lost 58% of their members uh, since 1987. The Southern Baptist Convention... Uh, has lost somewhere in the vicinity of 3 million members. Um, United Church of Christ has lost 52% of their members. United Methodist Church has lost 31%, but they just decided to uh, ordain a partnered gay man, I think. And they have a, a lot of churches that this year have determined they're going to separate from the United Methodists and make up a new denomination. So apostasy is all around us. There are people turning their backs on Jesus right and left. Am I worried about that? I'm really not. I think it's just showing where people really were to begin with, right? When the cultural stream was going in the Christian direction, it was easy to float in the stream and say, whoop. That's right, I'm a Christian. Aren't we all? I'm an American. I must be a Christian floating along in the same direction. That's called nominal Christianity. That's called nominal faith, right? You know, if, if you're raised in a Christian home and then you just keep going to church and you don't really know why you're still going to church, you're just kind of still going to church, you're just kind of following the, you know, going with the flow, right? But I told these kids when I was uh, bringing them up to camp, you need to have your personal relationship with Jesus. It has to be your relationship with Jesus. Because a lot of, well, yeah, I would say the majority of the kids we brought to camp have been raised in this church. A number of kids had not, but the ones that I had in my vehicle, except one, had. It's like, you, you can't, you're not getting into heaven on your parents' faith. You're not a Christian because your parents are Christians. You got to make up your own mind, decide to follow Jesus, be baptized, those sorts of things. Well, Jesus' parable of the sower is instructive here. Um, this is found in 
Matthew 13, 18 through 23, and this is, Jesus tells the parable, then he interprets it. This is one of the few parables he interprets. Listen then to the parable of the sower. The sower is, that means he's a farmer. He plant, he's plant seeds. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one sown with seed beside the road. The one sown with seed in the rocky places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution occurs because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one sown with seed among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word and the anxiety of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown with seed on the good soil, This is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundred, some 60, and some 30 times as much. See, it's not a matter of whether the seed gets sown, right? Right? God's word is going out. It's going out. It's going out, right? And not just with this church, with many churches that are still preaching the gospel. It's going out. It's going out online. It's going out. It's going out, okay? It's going to hit some hearts and bounce off. Those are the people that are just not paying attention at all. It's going to hit some hearts and they're going to be enthusiastic about it, but then they're going to die out. It's going to hit some hearts and they're going to carry on for a while, but then there's persecution and worries and all of this, and that's it doesn't gain any root, and then the plant dies out. It's only those that produce fruit that represent those that are saved those that are in the kingdom, okay? So just because we see people in church, even for years, doesn't necessarily mean that they have chosen to follow Jesus and have faith. Only the seed that winds up producing fruit represents those who are genuinely followers of Jesus. It's one thing, though, to turn away from your faith. It's another thing entirely to betray Christ by openly becoming his enemy like Judas did. Jesus said, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. He said, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the person through whom the stumbling block comes. Now, I have a list of people here uh, that have turned away from faith. Uh, I'll just give you the first one. Um, There's a guy named Bart Ehrman. He's actually a textual scholar. This is why you don't need to just believe whatever uh, a Bible teacher or preacher says because he says, well, scholars say, Bart Ehrman is a scholar, but uh, he is a former Christian. He went to Wheaton uh, College in Illinois, which is, you know, the evangelical Harvard, very well-respected school. But uh, now he writes these terrible books that are intended to turn people away from believing that the Bible is legitimate, authentic, God's word, and so forth. There are lots of other examples. We won't get into those because I do want to finish tonight, and I've got one more passage, and I will finish. (laughs) Um, So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to leave also, do you? Well, not 12, but do do you want to leave? Right? You say, yes, pastor, I'm hungry. All right. You do not want to leave also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Man, see, that's that's when you've pushed all your chips in, right? You've pushed all your chips in. Things get rough. You don't know what to do, but you're like, where else am I going to go? 
The answer is nowhere. Things can get really bad, man. They really can, and they have for a lot of us. Over the last three or so years, man, they've gotten bad, haven't they? I mean, we've been through some difficult times, okay? But Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we've already believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered, did I, did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And now he meant Judas, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. So a lot of disciples turned away and didn't follow Jesus anymore. But even among the 12, there was one that didn't just turn away, but betrayed him, right? So I would say, um, you and I need to watch and pray. That's what Jesus said when they were in the garden, watch and pray. And listen to this. This is from the eschatological discourse. This is where Jesus talked about the end of time. And this is, uh, once again, back to Mark. This is Mark 13, 32, and 33. And this is my parting shot to you. But about that day or hour, no one knows. What is the day or hour he's talking about? The return of his return, right? But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Watch out. Stay alert. For you do not know when the appointed time is. So, watch and pray. There's a difference between faith and presumption. Faith is intentional. Presumption is not. I encourage you to have faith. Amen? If you would like to give us feedback, uh, you can go to our website, lifewellchurch.com, and you will find uh, on the main page, there's a feedback tab, and you can click that. You can fill out that form. Uh, you can give us feedback. You can ask for prayer requests, all sorts of things like that. I hope that you are able to do this. We have a text service uh, that I use to send out information on our church throughout the week. And uh, basically, all you need to do is text the word LIFEWELL, from your phone to 94000. And if you do that, it'll drop you into that news text list, and you'll get a couple of those texts uh, from us every week.